Despite what some people outside of South Carolina's program and fan base might think, I think that South Carolina's defensive line are going to outperform expectations in 2022. I'll discuss why today on the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. Our Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, lines, and odds than ever before. Bet Online is where the game starts. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Lockdown Gamecocks Podcast, your show for daily headlines and potential storylines for your favorite South Carolina Gamecock sports teams. I am your host, as always, Andrew Lyon. Thank you for making the Lockdown Gamecocks Podcast your first listen. Every day, we're free and available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts daily. All right, so I've got a really big show for all of y'all here today. I'm going to talk about the defensive line for South Carolina heading into next season, breaking it down between both the edge slash defensive end position group and the defensive tackle group. Sort of discussing some things to look out for for certain guys what the potential roles could be, and how overall I think the group is going to perform this next season. I'll also give a quick update on some news that broke yesterday afternoon on one of the veteran defensive linemen on the interior and how their future football career is going to be impacted. But without further ado, let's go ahead and go right into the show. So I'm going to start off with the edge defensive end position. Now, if I had to sum up the edge defensive end position for South Carolina heading into next season with just one statement, that statement would be the edge position is top heavy in terms of talent and depth. There's a few guys in this position group that South Carolina is going to be able to consistently rely on to make some plays and really help out this defense and try to maybe take a step forward in certain aspects heading into next season. But behind those couple of players, there is also going to be a dip in the talent and experience facets for the bottom guys on the depth chart. So let's start off with a couple of the top guys in this position group, starting off with Jordan Birch. Now, there's been a big misconception with Jordan Birch heading into the 2022 football season, and that is that it is time for him to sort of step up and really show why he was a five-star recruit coming out of high school. I would correct that statement that some people have made just a little bit by saying it's not time for Jordan Birch to step up, but it is time for him to step in the shoes of being a starting SEC defensive end. Now, as I mentioned, Birch was a five-star recruit in the 2020 class coming out of Hammond School right here in Columbia, South Carolina. And up to this point in his career, he has admittedly been more of a rotational piece in his first two seasons. He's appeared in 21 games with just one start in his first two years. So why is it I say that he needs to sort of step in to his role more and not necessarily step up? Well, in fairness to Jordan Birch, Birch was behind a multi-year college starting defensive end in Aaron Sterling, and he wasn't a slouch while he was here at South Carolina. He played and started the last two seasons he was here, played in 50 games overall, starting 31 of them. And Jordan Birch also dealt with a nagging hand injury in his freshman season, which also happened to be 
the COVID-19 shortened season to top it all off. Now, why will Birch help this defensive line perform above expectations, in my opinion? Well, Jordan Birch compared to Aaron Sterling. No offense to Aaron Sterling whatsoever, but Jordan Birch, by far, has more athleticism that he's going to be bringing to the field. And he's also, in my opinion, a solid, balanced defensive end in terms of both rush defense and pass rush. And he'll be in his second year in Clayton White's defensive scheme. And he was someone I noticed back in the spring game that was flying around a lot on the football field, diagnosing plays quickly, and he looked really comfortable. So I think without a doubt, Jordan Birch is ready to grab the bull by the horns and take this starting role head-on heading into the 2022 football season. Now, his confidant, the guy who's going to be starting on the opposite side in this position group, is going to be Jordan Strahan, the other Jordan, as some people like to call him. Now, in my opinion, Jordan Strahan heading into this season, there's a certain mindset that he's going to need to carry, which is this. He doesn't need to try to be like Kingsley and Ibarri, who was a first-team All-SEC selection, according to Pro Football Focus, after last season and was drafted by the Green Bay Packers. And he also doesn't need to try to be like Jordan Birch, who, again, has a little bit more notoriety nationally maybe than he does. He just needs to be Jordan Strawn. And that sounds a bit cliche, but in all honesty, it is the truth when it comes to sports. He doesn't need to be trying to compare himself to these other guys when he's out there playing. And Strawn has proven that he can be a productive college football defensive end. People forget the banner year he had back in 2020 when he was at Georgia State. He was tied for first in the FBS in sacks with 10.5 total, along with 14 tackles for loss, two fumble recoveries, and three forced fumbles. This is a great stat line no matter what level of football you're playing. Now, Strawn, as a football player, is a guy who's going to give up some weight, admittedly, against opposing SEC offensive tackles. He apparently weighs 245 pounds, according to his player profile, but he is a solid pass rusher who makes up for his lack of size with his technique. Now, the flip side of the coin regarding Jordan Strawn's weight is that he could be a little bit problematic in rush defense if he's facing an offensive tackle with some sound run-blocking technique. And this admittedly did happen on multiple occasions in different games this past season. So, is Jordan Strawn going to be able to match Kingsley Anapari's accolades from last year? Probably not. But he is still going to be someone who can affect any given play, especially when he can be in a two-point stance, basically standing straight up on obvious passing downs, and just be told, hey, Jordan, just get after the quarterback here. Go get a sack for this defense. Now, coming up in just a few moments, I'll talk about some of the backups at the defensive end slash edge position and a couple of other guys who are going to be in the reserves and then work my way sort of towards the interior defensive line and the players to maybe look for who could end up really giving some production to this group and help contribute this next season. However, before I get into all of that, I do need to remind you all that BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting stats and sports information, where you'll find all the latest sports developments, news, and odds, including college football and NFL futures, regular season Major League Baseball, and of course, all the latest fighting news from MMA and UFC all the way to boxing. BetOnline acts as a continuous source for all of your sporting wagering information, including live betting, esports, and much, much more. So be sure to head over to the website today or use your mobile device to learn the latest about the trends and action, because BetOnline is where the game starts. 
All right, so getting back to the defensive end edge position real quick, let's talk about the new kid on the block, Terrell Dawkins, although he definitely doesn't have the size of a kid. Now, the storyline with Dawkins is that he showed promise at NC State, but coming to South Carolina, he was in need of a fresh start. He had a solid redshirt freshman campaign, playing in 12 games, starting in six, racking up 36 tackles and nine tackles for loss, which, by the way, led all ACC freshman defensive linemen, and had four and a half sacks to put the cherry on top. Now, he was hampered by an offseason surgery in the 2021 season, and he also was playing in a three-down lineman defensive formation, which did not fit his play style whatsoever. So what does Dawkins bring to the table here, being a part of this defensive end group? Well, he showcased a high motor in the spring game when I watched it back in April, flying around all over the field, whether the play was coming towards him or going away from him. And he also seems to fit better as a guy who can put his hand in the dirt and help to set the edge in rush defense, mainly on the weak side. Now, he could work to build up his pass rush arsenal by adding some more moves to his repertoire, but again, I think Terrell Dawkins' game is mainly going to be helping out in run support. And he's going to be a good rotational piece that can give guys a breather and help out again in the rush defense in ball games. And I see him being more so of that weak side defensive end in Clayton White's defensive scheme instead of the guy that's going to be in a two-point stance standing straight up, just going straight after the offensive tackle on passing downs. Now, after Dawkins, this is where there's a bit of a drop-off in terms of talent and depth with the rest of this group. And I'll start off with Gilbert Edmond. Now, as a player... I would say that Gilbert Edmond is the technician out of all the backups at the defensive end position. He relies more on his length and his technique, more so than his sheer athleticism like some of these other guys can. Now, I would project him to be the primary edge in the second string, being paired up with Terrell Dawkins on the other side. Another backup out of this position group is Tyreek Johnson. Now, he's had injuries plague his career, unfortunately, up to this point. He tore his ACL in fall camp preceding the 2018 season and had surgery after the 2019 season to fix a subluxation issue with one of his knees as well. Maybe it been the same knee, but I can't recall off the top of my head. Now, he's had the athletic tools, but unfortunately, due to these circumstances, He's been fighting to get snaps in ballgames consistently because of injuries and missing time being able to develop in the weight room and on the football field. And at this point, unfortunately, I would expect Tyreek Johnson to be a third stringer. Of course, definitely hope that he can maybe showcase why South Carolina wanted him badly enough out of high school this coming season. But again, I don't expect him to be one of the top rotational guys in this position group. And then the final guy to really note is Hot Rod Fitton. Now, he's a fourth-year player who's an absolute weight room warrior. And there's a video back in the offseason that showed him back squatting, get this, around 600 pounds. And if I recall correctly, he even repped it a few times. When I say repped it, basically means he didn't just do one rep and then rack it. He got the bar off, and he went down and up like it was nothing, like it was lightweight, as we would say, in the gym. Now... The issue is the on-field production just hasn't matched up with his weight room warrior mentality yet. He only has eight tackles in 10 career games that he's played. And he didn't have a great showing in the spring game, to be honest with y'all. He got blown off the line way too many times against guys that were second, third string offensive linemen. And for a guy who's in his fourth year at this point, Hot Rod's got to start showing the coaches that he can go out there and help contribute on the football field. You can't go in there and rep 600 pounds on back squat, but then go out there and struggle against guys 
who are backups. You just can't be doing that at this point. And unfortunately, overall, I don't expect Hot Rod to see the field a whole lot this season on defense. I expect him to be on the lower end of the depth chart out of all the guys who are returning in this position group. Now, moving on from the guys on the edge, let's go ahead and move on to the interior defensive linemen, the big boys in the middle. Now, now this position group has less recognizable names from a national standpoint. But in my opinion, and probably most of y'all's opinion who know the makeup of this roster, they have much better depth overall compared to their counterparts on the outside in the edge defensive end position group. Now, let's look at the starters first and foremost. I'll start off with Zach Pickens. Now, Pickens, I would turn to be the seasoned veteran and leader of this group, and for good reason. He's played in 35 career games, starting 20 of them in the past three years. And he's gotten better statistically every single season he's been in the program, to the point where he was voted second-team All-SEC by the SEC media coming out of SEC media days this past week. Now, what does Zach Pickens bring to the defensive line? Well, he's kind of like Javon Kinlaw in terms of on-field impact. What I mean by that is because of his power— and how much he drives his feet when the ball is snapped. There are times where Pickens can just absolutely bulldoze an offensive lineman into a quarterback's lap, especially when he's allowed to rush freely on a passing play. Now, how will he help the front four beat their expectations this upcoming season? Well, Zach has a ton of experience now to lean on, and he's always had the athleticism to boot with that. And because of that, combining these two factors now together, he should be a very confident senior leader on this defensive line who can consistently affect the pocket and occasionally make plays on his own as well. Now, the guy that's going to start next to him, in my opinion, is Alex Boogie Huntley, a young gun who is ready to make his mark on this defense. Now, Alex Boogie Huntley came to Columbia as a blue chip four-star recruit in the 2020 class out of Hammond School in Columbia, South Carolina, along with fellow teammate Jordan Birch. Now, Huntley has played in 14 career games up to this point, including 13 this past year, where he was a freshman All-SEC selection due to his performance. Now, what does Boogie Huntley bring to the table? Well, Huntley is another lineman on this front who plays with a very high motor, and he showcased this in the spring game. He's also going to be someone who will help more with rush defense in terms of handling blocks and clogging up lanes, but at times he can also affect the pocket and force the quarterback out of his rhythm when he's coming out into his drop back. Now, how can he help the D-line do better as a whole this season? Well, Huntley is not necessarily going to be asked to be Superman, and he doesn't have to be because of all the other guys that are going to be a part of this starting group going into this next season. On the interior, Huntley, at the bare minimum, just needs to be, honestly, the Robin to Zach Pickens' Batman on the interior. And if he does that, it's going to help in many ways that won't go unnoticed in the eyes of Gamecock fans, even if it means he's going to be sacrificing some statistical gains along with that. Now, getting past the starting lineup in this position group, let's look at some of the backups, starting off with Tonka Hemingway. Now, how is he as a player? Well, this is the best way that I can describe Tonka Hemingway as a football player. He's like Lightning McQueen, where he does float like a butterfly, and he does indeed sting like a bee. Now, I know you're probably laughing right now because you either think that was very clever or you think that, Andrew, that was extremely cringe. Do not ever do that again. Either way, why do I compare him to Lightning McQueen? Well, 
Hemingway was a multi-sport athlete coming out of high school. And for a lineman, he is extremely light on his feet when moving out there on the football field. He has appeared in every single game he could have possibly played up to this point in his career, showing incredible durability, knocking on wood that it hopefully stays that way, playing 23 career games with three starts. Now, what kind of role is he going to play at his position this upcoming season? Well, unlike some of the backups, Hemingway will be able to come in and not only remain unfazed due to his experience that he has up to this point, but he'll also be able to keep the pedal to the metal from a pace standpoint against these opposing offensive linemen by coming in and being fresh and being as quick as he is, like I just mentioned. He'll make it challenging for any opposing interior offensive lineman when he comes into a ball game. Now, in my opinion, the guy that will be next to him in the second string on defensive line will be MJ Webb, who I simply call the grandfather of the group because he is experienced and reliable. He's a sixth-year senior who has played in 32 career games, making two starts, and racking up 53 tackles in the process. Now, MJ Webb isn't going to wow anybody with raw strength or finesse moves, but his IQ should be at a point where he does all of the little things right and is in the right position on almost every single play. Now, obviously, I've never been the athlete that you know MJ Webb has been in his career, but I did play high school football, and I played on the interior defensive line for most of my career being a backup. But if there's one thing I learned from my coach in high school, it's that defensive linemen, quite honestly, as long as you don't get driven back and you're able to maintain your gap integrity, basically meaning that you're not getting driven five yards back, and that whole entire gap has been completely closed in, opening up a hole the size of a Mack truck next to you where the running back or quarterback could just take the ball, run right through there, and get like 10, 12 yards. As long as MJ Webb does stuff like that right more often than not, then even if it means he's just helping the linebacker stay free and being able to spill out and go tackle a running back, that's still going to play an important role on this defensive line and for this defensive front as a whole. So what do I expect his role to be this next season? I expect him to be a viable rotational player on the interior and lead by example by showing the younger guys behind him how to carry yourself in and out of the building and throughout football games. Now, moving on from the guys that have been in the program for several years now, let's talk about some of the young pups in the middle, starting off with TJ Sanders. Now, TJ Sanders, if I had to describe him in one sentence, I would describe him as the unicorn of the group. Because Sanders, like Hemingway, was also a multi-sport athlete coming out of Marion High School in South Carolina. He played both defensive tackle and tight end at Marion, and he also averaged a double-double his senior year on the basketball court to top it all off. That just tells you how good of an athlete that TJ Sanders is. Now, he might be the best athlete and have the highest ceiling out of all of these defensive tackles in this group. And while he didn't play much last season, he received high marks from head coach Shane Beamer back in the spring for how well he practiced against the ones on the offensive line, which if the head coach is giving you those kind of remarks in spring practice when you're like third string on the depth chart, I would say you're doing a lot of things right at that point in time. Now, while Sanders probably won't play as much again this season due to all the upperclassmen that are ahead of him, he most certainly is going to benefit from having another year to develop his skills while waiting in the wings for his time to get more snaps. And then the other young pup in the middle is Nick Barrett. And Nick Barrett is a second-year player 
who's the antithesis of MJ Sanders in terms of his play style. He is more of a space eater in the middle, being listed around 6'3", 330 pounds, according to his player profile, and more often than not makes his presence known in rush defense. Now, Barrett Mike Sanders showed a lot of promise on the practice field this past season on the scout team. And like Sanders, he is going to benefit greatly from getting more time to develop his skills on the field and become a more well-rounded defensive tackle. So needless to say, him and Sanders at this moment in time have a very bright future ahead of them if they continue to develop. So why will the defensive line beat the expectations that have been set on them in 2022? Well, the first reason I can think of is continuity in the scheme. This past year, the defensive line were having to undergo a complete schematic change under Clayton White. Instead of running this odd 3-4 defensive type system, which sometimes could be multiple and go to a 4-3, Clayton White, at least according to Zach Pickens from SC Media Days, he likes to keep things more simple. He runs a 4-2-5, having more quote-unquote athletes on the field with more skill guys in order to counteract the offensive revolution that's taken place in football over the last several years. And he just wants to call plays, execute them well up in practice, then let the guys go run free whenever they play their football games. And having another year in a system like that, I think, can only help all these guys all the more. Another reason why I think they're going to exceed expectations is this group compared to last year's group is by far going to have more speed and athleticism on the field but not completely at the sacrifice of size. Listen, I love Aaron Sterling, and I'm sure all of Game Cognition loves Aaron Sterling, along with Kingsley and Afari. I think both those guys were great players while they were here. Sterling was a great college defensive end, and Afari, obviously a big help for this team last year, a big reason why this defense had some solid games. We were able to kind of play all four quarters without letting the team blow them out, despite the offense's ineptitude at times at being able to score points. But I think that Jordan Strawn and Jordan Birch, there could be an argument made that both these guys, especially on Birch's end, are upgrades from an athleticism and speed standpoint. And the thing is, you're not giving up a whole lot of size. Birch is about 6'4", 275, according to his player profile. Now, Strawn is the only concern from a size standpoint on this defensive line. And I actually found out when researching for my show yesterday that Jordan Strawn actually was a former safety coming out of high school, and was moved to defensive end when he was at Georgia State. So carrying 245 for him is probably a lot different from what he was doing about five, six years ago. But nonetheless, he'll still, in my opinion, be very effective in terms of pass rush. Rush defense would be the only concern in that regard. And then the final reason is people outside the program and fan base are making the false assumption that because there's three new starters, that means there's going to be a drop-off. But based on, obviously, what I've said about these guys and their experience and all the skills they bring to the table, that obviously is not going to be the case. Between all the four stars that I'm projecting to be out there week one against Georgia State this upcoming season, there's 106 total appearances and 36 starts amongst the starting lineup. That is a lot of games, a lot of snaps collectively between all those guys. And again, that's just a starting group. That's not even counting all the guys below them who, for the majority of them, have also played snaps, significant snaps in some big ball games in the past. So this defensive line, while yes, they are replacing three very, very valuable pieces from last season, do not want to forget that whatsoever. 
I think that the guys that are going to be filling in those shoes, not stepping up, but stepping into these roles this next season are going to do just fine and will be a reason why, hopefully, especially on the rush defense side of things, this defense will do even better this next season. Now, there is one other quick note that I do want to bring up real quick regarding the defensive tackle position group, and that is regarding some news that broke yesterday afternoon with Rick Sandage, a defensive tackle who has been in the program now for four years, was going into his fifth season at South Carolina, but unfortunately last year, before fall camp at some point, he broke his ankle or a bone in his ankle joint and had to have surgery. And apparently since then, things just have not really gone well in terms of his rehab and recovery. I'm not quite certain if there was maybe some complications with the operation. Maybe, unfortunately, he had to have a second surgery, a second operation. Again, can't, cannot say for sure, but... Rick Sandage did take to social media yesterday to announce that he was officially retiring from football, taking a medical hardship. So obviously some really sad news for Gamecock fans. And, you know, Rick Sandage was a guy that definitely, he showed a lot of glimpses of being a really solid football player here. And I personally was really looking forward to potentially seeing him back out there. And, you know, for him to be able to write his final chapter at South Carolina and finish it on a very high note. But, Unfortunately, that's not going to be the case, at least on the football field. But if he was going through so much pain, of course, with the rehab and with everything he was dealing with from this injury, then it makes perfect sense for him to take this medical hardship and go ahead and retire. It's just not worth all the mental stress and angst that it would have caused him to try to push himself to come back from what he dealt with since before fall camp this past season. But the good news out of Rick Sandage's message from yesterday is that he is going to stay involved with the program. He has apparently taken a role that is going to help out South Carolina's recruiting operations. So that is something that I think is great for him. And, you know, I think it would have been honestly bad personally, at least in my opinion, if he had just completely gone cold turkey in terms of any sort of involvement with the football program and just completely left it alone. Because again, I only played football for four years back when I played high school ball, but even for the first couple months after I was done playing and knowing it was the last time I was going to play, I was in a real big funk. I didn't know what to do with all the time that I had. And I didn't really honestly know for a while what was next. And so for Rick Sandage to be able to stay involved, be able to stay with these guys, I think that that is great for him. And as and what matters at the end of the day, of course, most importantly, is that Rick is happy. And I'm hopeful that he's now a little bit more at peace, knowing that he no longer has to, again, really put himself through all of this and feeling like he's got to force himself back out there in a situation where maybe his physical health could still be compromised. So Props to Rick Sandage because that's a hard decision for a lot of football players to make. Guys that maybe have thought about this multiple times in their careers. So, Rick Sandage, we appreciate everything you did on the football field. And Gamecock Nation is glad to know that you're still going to be a part of the football program in a certain capacity this next season. At this point, that's going to do it today for the Locked on Gamecocks podcast. I hope you all thoroughly enjoyed today's show. As always... What are y'all's thoughts on the edge and defensive tackle positions and the breakdown of the players heading into next season? Is there a particular guy that maybe I didn't talk about very much that you think could have a breakout season? Someone that maybe could contribute more than I let on? Is there any of the starters that maybe you have certain concerns about? Is there an aspect out of the starters game that maybe you think I didn't bring up 
enough. Maybe I didn't emphasize enough that I should have. I do want to hear your thoughts down below in the comments section if you're watching this on YouTube. And of course, if you're listening to this on audio podcast apps, wherever you get your podcast daily, you can also feel free to shoot me a message at a line underscore SC, and I'll be sure to respond to any comments or replies that you have as quickly as I see them. And also, if you've enjoyed the Locked On Gamecocks podcast and you want to get more on the entire SEC conference, then make Locked On SEC your second listen every day, where host Chris Gordy and the local experts of Locked On take you across the SEC in just 30 minutes. Again, make Locked On SEC your second listen after, of course, the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. But with that being said, y'all, once again, that's going to do it for me on today's show. I hope you have a great Friday and a fantastic weekend, and I'll catch you on the next show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast.